Okay. Near the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Okay. I'm still like barely awake, so things are processing really slowly. Um, so if you ask something and I stare back, just like ask it again. Um, and eventually it'll go in. Um, I think this lecture might be, and I might be lying because it depends on a bunch of stuff, the shortest one of the five. Um, which is good to leave room for more questions. So as you go along, do that. I just I wanted to divide it in the way that Abuna Mehta himself has divided it, um, because of the way that things um, flow. And there was something else that I forgot that I wanted to say. Um, so to recap, yesterday we talked about the purpose of man being for God, right? That the body was made to be in subjection to the spirit and that the spirit, the human spirit is supposed to be in communion with the Holy Spirit or with God right? and that the dilemma of man is choosing which side to align himself with right? is whether the self wants to be with God or the self wants to be with the body um, and then we talked about how the, the biggest obstacle to your progress or progress um, is uh, yourself, okay? It's, it's, it's you. And so taming the self um, is what spiritual life is, right? Is, is bringing the body under subjection to, to the spirit. Um, and I want to emphasize again that this is not arbitrary. Like I, like, like I can't be emphatic about it enough because most of us today live very arbitrarily. And it's not a random thing that we're saying. When we're saying all this stuff, it's not, here's a good idea, here's a good concept that you should think about. Um, it's not a saying like, you know what would be really cool is if you bring your body under subjection to your spirit. It's saying you're supposed to do that. That's not, it's not arbitrary. This was what you were designed to do. And that when you don't live according to that design, you are living wrongly, like just plainly, okay? Is that what you're doing is plain wrong. People aren't comfortable with being told they're wrong anymore. Um, but, sorry folks. Um, so it's not arbitrary that we're striving for, but it's an intentional one because of our design, because we're made in the image and likeness of God. Now, you will find in the writings of Winnemetta and in his sermons, um, it's one of my favorite things about him, is he's extremely Christocentric, okay? Is that everything revolves around Christ. Right? Not around the self, not around your effort, but it's always going to revolve around Christ. And so it's no shock that his first thing to talk about is saying, okay, so what do we do? The starting point isn't going to be you. Okay, the starting point is to understand first, as he puts, um, what God is doing and how things go. So he says, the work of transformation of our state, um, what he's saying, this is page 8 in the old edition, I think it's the same in yours. Um, it can't be done by man's effort alone, okay? Obviously, men and women have tried and not been able to do it. So you can't force the Holy Spirit, in other words, to work with you, right? You can't take the Holy Spirit and, and bring the Holy Spirit under subjection um, to you, which would make you very, very egocentric. Um, and yet you can't do anything without the Holy Spirit. And that's why the Incarnation even happened. So man couldn't fix his own fallen nature, Right? Man had a, a nature that had been corrupted, right? that had, after millennia 
of abuse, right, no longer resembled its original thing. So think of, of a car designed to look in a, in a certain way. You've driven it through, like, northern Canada and, like, it got rusted, okay? And then you shoved pens in the auxiliary cable. Someone thought it was a good idea to, like, take a bat to it. Like, all sorts of natural and intentional acts have done it, have been done to it that this car doesn't resemble a car anymore. But the car was designed at some point, okay? It was supposed to look and function a certain way. So the car cannot fix itself, is what I want to say. Right, so the car can't be like, well, I have this great feature where I suddenly, like, do all this stuff, and it's like I'm I'm brand new. Something external has to be done to it to fix it. Um, the same is true of our spirit: is that we can't fix our own fallen spirit. So man couldn't even see what it looked like to be a proper man. He had lost that image completely. Right, it became nothing but um, uh, a memory. So the consequence of all of this was the incarnation. So the, the Holy Spirit had left us, we read this in Genesis, um, and worked externally, like we talked about yesterday, through prophets, through judges, through kings, anointed people. Um, but the promise of the New Testament, right, which we read over and over um, during Holy Week, not over and over, but we read it, um, was the indwelling of God once more, right? That was one of the promises of the New Testament, was that we were going to receive the Holy Spirit again to actually live within us. And so Abuna Metta writes, it does not lie within man's power to kill the old self or to make alive the new one. So man can't do it. God alone has the power to make dead the old and to make the new one alive in all its fullness. The moment a person is baptized by water and the Holy Spirit, God himself begins to bring to death the old self. He continues to do so until the very last moment of that person's life. Consequently then, okay, it's the new birth that allows us to have the Holy Spirit so that God can work on us. So when we have these sacraments, we're not doing random like voodoo things, right? Where like someone thought it was a good idea to throw kids in water. Like there's a symbolic act that's going on in the ritual, right? Of, of receiving the new man again, right? So that I can receive the chrismation. So what we're doing in baptism is saying you're going to die with Christ. The old man is dying, right? You will rise with Christ so that you can receive the new man. And now that you received the new man, you are like you were in Eden, and thus the Holy Spirit may live in you again. That's why you are then chrismated, right? Is that the, it's the, the order is important because of what these things mean. So our new life begins with that. That is the moment where now your, your natural spirit has been bonded with um, your Holy Spirit, for, long, for lack of a better word, of His Holy Spirit. Um, Thus, God begins His plan with the new birth, which is through baptism by water and the Spirit. Either in spiritual infancy, when man starts to grow and understand the meaning of repentance, or when he has become adult, he begins to put this self in a corner and subdue it by defeating its power. Eventually, he kills this self. So, life then is the process of killing the self. Okay? The more that one kills the self, the more that that person becomes like the new man. So Sabuna was talking here about repentance. He's saying either from when you're first born in the spirit, you start to kill the self, right? Or um, by some eureka moment later, right? But there's an active point. There's an active point of, of working towards it. And that's what our life is supposed to be about. Um, and this is why, as we talked about yesterday, why you see holy men who renounce themselves acquiring... Um, the gifts that so-called uh, normal men don't have, right? And in quotations, normal. Um, Danny, your, your dad's calling you. 
Um, so we'll see people who have acquired these gifts. They're clairvoyant, okay? There's by location, they see through souls, they heal, etc. And it's because they're becoming more and more like God. As God gives more and more grace. All right. So as we said, this should be the natural consequence. So it's a natural consequence of, a hol- of holiness. It's not a superpower for the super blessed. Okay, because we often like look at it that way, right? We're like, oh man, that guy is like super holy and that's why he can do X, Y, or Z. That's not really how it works, right? It's not he's like imbibed with like super holiness and then God's like, okay, I'll give him a super gift, right? It's a person lived in the way that they were designed and so they naturally have these, these, these consequences. But killing the self is extremely hard, right? As most of us have found. Our habits, our will, our societies, um, we've taken on habits and given education that may not always be right or profitable. We have lots of things shoved down our throats from society, from ourselves, from our peers, even sometimes in church. We, we, we do have wrong things that seep in um, and these things make it even more difficult. So he starts off by saying you need to first be fully aware of what God is doing in us. This is the first step, if you will, towards the right way. So it's God's work before mine. And that should be in your mind at all times, right? Is, is God's work before mine to be Christocentric, not egocentric. So he doesn't start with me fixing myself. Most of us have that thought of, you know what, I know what I need to do. If I just do this thing, everything is going to be good. Right? That's what a lot of us, I've heard this over and over and over, and I've said it myself many times. Right? Like, I know what it is that I need to fix. If I just fix this, everything is going to be smooth sailing. But the work actually doesn't start with me. Um, maybe there was stuff to do at the beginning, and I'm, I'm writing that with question marks. I don't know, right, when we was first baptized. But wherever it is that I'm at now, no. It takes another work. It's like we reach the point where um, we've lost grip. It's like a, a drug addict in a high or an intoxicated person, just to give an, an analogy of, of why it's not you who's going who's gonna to fix it. You are not able in your high, right, or drunk, um, to do anything to save yourself, right? You can't just be like, oh, it's okay, I just need to drive, like, to wherever it is, and then I'll get some rest, right? No, that's a really bad idea, right? So someone, someone else needs to do that for you. So I know it's a horrible analogy, but it, it works. Um, because a lot of us don't see it that way. We'll be like, what's wrong with me saying I need to do it? And it's because you're in such a messed up state that you don't even realize you can't, right? That it isn't your work that's going to be the one that does it. Your senses, your thoughts, everything are impaired and not sound enough to do so even if you think you are. And so the beginning of this work, okay, the beginning of God's work on me because of being in that state is in baptism, Right? That's the beginning of that work, of saying, all right, no, 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 like Project Takeover um, has begun. But as we'll see here and elsewhere, it's a mutual work. Right? It's, it's grace and works together that are necessary. So the beginning of the work is baptism where we receive renewal. So then he goes on to talk about how God uses direct and indirect ways um, to kill the self. So this is page 8 as well. This is a very hard process. So God uses all possible measures, direct or indirect, to attack the self. He applies constant pressure, a pressure which never ceases. God could choose different means, but is content to act in this way 
for he has one goal, to destroy man's pride and its power and to break the bonds that imprison the spirit of the new man, which is really nice. It sounds very uncomfortable, right? But it's actually really nice that God is outreaching us, right? And actually cares. He, he could just turn around and say, I mean, what's the big deal? So he applies constant pressure and a pressure which never ceases, right? And he gives the reason why emphatically is to destroy man's pride and its power and to break the bonds that imprison the spirit of um, the new man. Because most of us don't realize, like that's what we talked about yesterday, how much the self has dominated, right? So all those things that we talked about yesterday, all those things that you're putting first, those are the things he wants to break, right? Which is why what he does is going to be very painful because these are the things that you're addicted to, right? Whether it's the, the social part or the, the prestige part or the ego part or the wealth part or the material part or the sexual part, whatever the part is, right, that you're addicted to, right? These are the things that he's going to be aiming um, to break. And then he goes on to talk about um, what God might use. So he says, parents and family, friends, outsiders, creation, animals and insects, sometimes even illness when all fails, then surrenders to Satan, let him have his own will. Okay, like this is the process that he goes through on the bottom of page 8. He may use one's friends. If these means fail, he uses a person's employer or rivals, or else his job and reputation. If such methods also fail, he uses the power of natural creation, animals and insects and anything else. If these are of no avail, he uses the body itself by inflicting weakness or illness. Finally, if all things fail, man is delivered into the hands of Satan, who will humiliate him and apply such discipline as God in his love has not used. The devil is merciless in his activity, and thus man is at last humbled and brought down to dust. This is a hard passage, right? Most people would read that and be like, that's not nice. Um, like, it's not the, the image that they have in their minds. So, like, let's take a, a look at someone like this. I'm going to make up a, a, a random example. So let's say there's somebody who's wayward, okay? And let's say that there's a person who is so arrogant, okay, and believes that he is, you know, God's gift to humanity. I've met some of these people. I, I'm one of those people. Um, this person may convince himself that he needs to be kind to others because they need him, right? Because he is God's gift to the world. Um, and in fact, this person may believe that he is the reason for many people's excellence, okay? Whether spiritual or secular um, or both. And I'm saying he's being nice to others, because he's doing it so that others love him, right? So they might be blind at first to his arrogance and that he thinks he's God's gift to the world because he's putting on a show so that they don't feel uncomfortable because maybe they'll be jealous when they find out, right, that he's God's gift to the world. And the person didn't start with this disease in a day, right? Like a person doesn't reach that level of arrogance overnight. This is something obviously that's built up. So the parents may be watching and realizing from a young age that their kid has an ego, right? And so perhaps they will subject him to discipline, right? Maybe they, they won't let him have his way with everything he wants, like as a way to break his, his will. Maybe when he makes a mistake, they might overcorrect him, right? Because they really want to be emphatic with this kid over others, like that because he's messed up, that he's not as good as he thinks he is. Um, and they might try to make a point that he corrects others, but himself has flaws, right? They're just going to like drill it in his head. 
Um, they, they'll try and do something, hopefully, if they're good parents, to curb their kid's ego. Families, of course, are in close proximity to one another, so members are more vulnerable and exposed to one another, right? So within the context of the home, people know each other better because you can't live a show at home for decades. It's really, really hard. I mean, you could, but you'd take, you'd get tired. Um, this person might then be corrected by siblings, right? I'm going through the same kind of uh, line that Abunamant has taken. So it might be a brother or sister says to him, like, I don't know, seriously, bro, like, like who do you think you are, right? Like that stuff might start to come out and point out all the behaviors and responses that show the ego or the arrogance of which they are speaking, right? Like every time they're doing like, see, you're doing it again, right? Here you are, once again, you think you're the teacher, you think you're whatever. They might fight with one another, they might not talk. Um, all of this and the person could either repent, okay? So that might be what brings the person to repentance. Like if it does, great, of being like, wow, I, I am full of myself. Or it might be the opposite, it might make the person more deluded. He might think, wow, like, my siblings don't even realize how good I am, right? And how lucky they are that I'm their brother, right? So it could go, it could go either way. So then the circle is going to go outward, right? Where it's like, okay, now, like, they tried at home, it's not working at home. So then the person um, goes to outsiders. So maybe he'll, be, he'll keep losing jobs because people can't stand him. Right? It'll be like, no, I can't work with that guy. So any excuse we have to get rid of him, um, let's take it. Um, maybe he'll run for some position and find that he gets the position because he talks really well, but then fails miserably at it um, and, and getting what he wants. Or maybe he'll be shocked to find out that he wants a leadership position and isn't even nominated for it, right? isn't even in the running for it. Right? And that will be like a, a major blow to the ego. Um, he might find that his spouse, if, if he's able to get one, um, is struggling with him. He might find customers, if he's in some store, telling him off, um, or academic advisors, or even random people on buses, right? Like when he's going off on someone or something or having conversations, someone overhears it, being like, like dude, like chill, like who, really, like who do you think you are? Um, he might be the guy who makes a scene at the grocery store, um, and finds that someone else in line tells him he's arrogant. Like, these are all places that God may use, right? To, like, to keep telling the person, like, limonefsa, collect yourself. Um, all of these are different external ways that might be used. Um, he might find that he has no staff working under him, right? Maybe he's the servant at church, and then they're having, like, groups, and you get to choose which servant, and no one chooses him, right? And, like, these are all different ways that, are, that might, be, might be ways of... Um, exposing. So if all of this doesn't work and the person continues to see the whole world against him, then God might even use nature. Maybe health, right? But when he does this, it has to be understood um, in context, right? Because this is the, that's the part where I think most people would struggle with what Ibn Amatta wrote, right? Is like the illness part or using um, of health. Think of, for example, when your kid which none of us, I don't think, have, um, when someone's kid um, wants to use something in a wrong way. Let's say you have a daughter, like a little girl, and she wants to play with something electronic, and you know she's going to insist on putting like, the plug in her mouth, um, and something is there, right? You know that this person is going to be harmed. So what might you do? You might pull out the batteries, right? Like the thing was designed to function in a way, but you're, because you know that it's harming your, your, your child, Right, you're going to pull out the batteries. That way, if she does put it in her mouth, 
right? She's not going to run a risk anymore, right? Um, you might change basically how something operates. You might slap their hand when they put their hands in the fire, right? There's different things that you're going to do. So sometimes, sometimes, not always, but sometimes, God does actively chastise. So if God moderates health, He's using something that He designed, right, to bring out another result from it, because He, he designed it. It's a hard one, right? It's not, uh, to my knowledge, the most common one, but like I said, I'm not a Bunamatta's level, so maybe it's happening more frequently than I, than I know or understand. Um, but He can and does use those things, right? Where it's like, no, you need, you need to, to bring something in check. So maybe, for example, someone's weakness is lust, and he's obsessed with how he looks, right? And maybe this lust is leading him to live a lifestyle that's completely contrary to what he should, right? And we're saying that the whole point of this is God is trying to rein, in, rein him in to bring his body, to bring his self to align with the spirit, right? So if his issue is he's like Mr. Casanova Nova, right? Then maybe God will say, you know what? If this, if this is what it needs is for you to be disfigured, like by your looks, for you to come back, be disfigured, right? Better for you to enter the kingdom of heaven with abs of flab than a six-pack, okay? But maybe he'll do something like that, right, as an active measure of outreach if the person is willing and working with God, right? Um, and it's so that his image doesn't become his fixation, right? His new God, his new self is worshiping like the most trivial aspect, Right? He's worshipping the body and all that it does. Right? And God is saying, this thing is going to go. Right? Like, this thing is, is, is just elements. It's going to pass. Right? So bring your eyes over here. So he may try extreme things like that with the person. Obviously, I think it was one of the things on your, on your scavenger hunt, First Corinthians 10.23. Um, oh, no, it's 10.13 is a verse that I want. Um, of, but God is merciful and doesn't allow someone to to take more than they can handle, right? So it's not like he's going to come and flog you to death and be like, it was for your sake, okay? Like he knows with what measure he can discipline any individual son or daughter of his and does it individualistically with each one knowing what they can handle. Now, if after all of this, the person still just couldn't care less, that's when God says, okay, go, go do your thing, right? I've been trying with you. Right? You're not interested. I've given you everything that I got. Um, I still love you, right? but I'm not going to fight with you. Right? This is why you read those scary verses, even in the New Testament, about do not quench the spirit. Right? Do not quench the spirit because you will lose the spirit. This is why in Genesis, in the verse where we read about the Holy Spirit leaving us, the word that God uses is, my spirit, my Holy Spirit, will no longer strive with man. Right? Like, I'm not going to fight with you. Right, you. I'm. I'm. I've tried. Right, but I'm. I'm not gonna constantly, like, fight with you. You've got to make a choice. Like, you have to decide what you love. Right. So if you love, I'm here. Right. I haven't left. I'm actually everywhere. Um, but it's up to you uh, whether you want to respond. And then on top of it, he's saying, I'm giving you over to the the, the enemy, not handing him, saying, Here, Satan, hold. Right. Do you want this one? Like, that's not what the expression means. It's saying. I was actively protecting you from him, right? You've now lost this active protection because you're, you're working against me and you don't want it, 
So take it. If that's what you want, you're fighting me for him, you can have him. What you don't realize is that he's a jerk. Okay? He doesn't love you. Right? I do. So if you think I was mean, right, with what I did for your salvation, like, watch what's going to happen now. Right? So you might feel really good at first because he's giving you all the stuff that you're saying that, that you want. Right? But he doesn't love you. He hates you. Right? He wants your eternal damnation. Right? He doesn't want your eternal salvation like the other team. Right? He wants this. So if you want it, go for it. And where I was kind of reserved of, of sparing you, he won't. Right? He's going to have a field day with you. And that's why even St. Paul uses the same expression in 1 Corinthians, right? where they've battled over and over and over with the dude who's sleeping with the stepmom. Right? And then after they've tried and tried and tried and tried, then St. Paul says, surrender him to Satan, right? which means let him have his own will. Right? If that's what he chooses, let him. Thankfully, in, in 2 Corinthians, he comes back, because sometimes that works. Right? Is that the person needs to, unfortunately, see the, the dark side um, for themselves. To realize it, unfortunately, some people go there and never come back. Um, so, why is this happening? The first is because the self is under siege within the body. Okay, so in other words, if you can picture yourself as like, I don't know, a tiny stick figure you. Um, this self is seeing what God is doing and he's like, no, 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 no. Right? And so he's going to duck and hide under stuff. Right? Because it doesn't want to be rebuked. It doesn't want to be um, chastised. Um, so that's the first thing. It wants to avoid God's blows against it. Um, and it might even appear, he writes at first, to sicken. Right? Like it seems like the self is like starting to be subdued. But it then recovers. Right? So it's like, it's like those moments where the person is like having within like their year of, of nothingness, like spiritually, and having like a few days of just like, you know, I, I ought to do good. Right, like, like this is the week, right? I should start doing something. And like for the first time in like 12 years, right, I prayed in the morning and like took a look at the Bible, right? And then like that person's really nice to people for like a day. And then the next day it's like, no, that was nice. It was a good run, but like it's not happening. Um, so like there's like this slight sign of like the self coming to a good place and then being gone. So the first thing is that the self is under siege. The second is... Um, is that this is all for um, salvation, right? So this is the passage at the bottom of 8, beginning of 9. So far, God is dealing with man's old self by direct or indirect means. Because of, right, and this is the most important part, because of his immense love for all mankind, all is done for man's salvation, to give him his inheritance of everlasting life, so he will be brought into God's glorious presence. Within man's inner soul, God will be at work. It will be there that he will dwell and remain. It will be there that he will dwell and remain. Throughout this period of discipline, when it, with its constant blows and pressure, he is never far from man. Right? This is important. That even in the chastising, right, he's not standing from a distance just watching like a spectator. Right? He's applying the remedy while, while being at your side at the same time. For though he beats, he heals, he breaks and yet binds up, he kills only that he may make alive. All this happens in the new man who is beloved by God um, and united with him. So this is a work of grace, 
right? We we think grace always in like the friendly way, right? Of like amazing grace anthems, right? Of like that in that song, this is amazing grace, and everyone like skips in the meadows. No, sometimes grace is painful, right? Because sometimes the act of God to bind is is painful. So any work of grace is for our salvation. It is not for the sake of punishment. This needs to be understood well, right? Because you have a Protestant leaning, and whenever I talk about another denomination, I'm not saying it sarcastically, like for the record, okay? I'm just speaking factually. You have a Protestant um, extreme, right? Of like, everything's good, come here, give me a hug, okay? And then you have sometimes among the Orthodox, the opposite extreme, right? Of like, probably because of something you did, right? And it's always this angry, right? Like, you're horrible, and you should know you're horrible, and you deserve it because you're a bad person, right? Like, we, we, both of these extremes are wrong, right? So if God is working work of grace of chastisement, it is not for him to punish you. This is not the objective. It's not to say you did this bad thing, and now you get a timeout. And this is actually very um, romantic, like this whole process. Think of an undying lover trying to woo back an estranged lover, right? And even, and let's add to it that the, that the lover that's estranged cheated on her, okay? Like, like add insult to, to injury. And so this, this wounded lover is constantly employing tactics to try and win her lover back. She will use everything in her power to do so, and it's for one thing and one thing only, her love, right? Nothing else is motivating her. It would be easier for her to give up on the dude. Right? It would be easier for her to say, he doesn't even deserve my love. He doesn't. Right? Like, like that's, that's probably a fact. Everything would be easier than actually wrestling with the person. Right? None of this would have felt like it was necessary. But the wrestling part is the love. Right? That is the love itself. Because the wrestling is, is going against myself. Right? It's, it's, I could just be passive and active Right? And, and, or sorry, pa- that's a contradiction. I could just be passive and laying here, right? But instead, I am wrestling with this other person who, who hates me, right? Or like hates not choosing me, right? That I love, and I'm, I'm actively exerting myself for the sake of this relationship that I could easily live without, right? I mean, on this human level, maybe the lover couldn't live without, maybe she has some addiction problem, right? But God doesn't have that problem, right? God doesn't need to wrestle with you. God doesn't have to have a relationship with you. God doesn't need to wrestle with you. God doesn't need anything from anyone, right? That's what makes his love all the more deep is that he wants it. He doesn't have to, but he wants it. And so for him to strive with you in this way is an immeasurable way, even though you hate it and see it as, as, as a horrible thing, is like him employing everything saying, I just really, really love you, right? Would you please, like, me, right? Acknowledge my existence on any level. I'll take anything, right? Like, like anything at all you got, like, I'll take it. Um, I, I remember a story with my dad when I, was, when I was a kid where, like, I was a principled kid. I wouldn't say sorry unless I knew what I was saying sorry for. So, like, I was sitting there, and my sister and my brother, I'm like, just say sorry. And I'm like, nope. And I'm like, I need to know what I did wrong. Um, and then they're like, just say sorry so you can watch TV, right? It's March break and we all want to watch TV. I'm like, nope. Um, and so then my dad was trying to get anything out of me. So he was like, um, 
he was he want like I think I got away with simply saying um if you think it was this, like, like some long convoluted thing of what I could potentially maybe be sorry for, right? My dad was like, okay, fine, go watch TV, right? Like, he was like, just anything, right? Like, learn, learn something, right? This is what God is, is doing with us patiently, and yet we're like me, like that stubborn kid that's like, nope, nope. Um, he owes me this, how dare he, right? How come he didn't ask everybody else? Right? How come he didn't ask this from my sister? Right? Like all that kind of self-word, like inward thinking, and yet God is wrestling um, with us. Um, and this is what the Old Testament is all about, actually. Right? The Old Testament is all about this um, wrestling. Um, and I'm saying that because in, in a week, right, to follow along the readings, because the passages of Holy Week are all about this context. Um, and you'll see him in rage, yelling at his lover, right? Like, begging, please come back. Um, and he'll bargain, right? He's like, okay, if you don't all want me, will any of you take me, right? Okay, so then he takes Abraham. Okay, you don't want me, you want a king, no problem, I'll give you a king. I'll, I'll give you a king, I'll bargain, I'll, 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 I'll give you that. Doesn't make any sense, but no problem, I'll let you have it. Okay, here's a king, but will you still love me? Will you at least acknowledge me when I give you um, the king? And then, um, will you at least pretend that you like me, <laughs> okay, and keep our anniversaries, right? Because they stopped even having the feast days, right? And he's like, can you just, like, pretend, like, pretend this date matters, right? Like, this was kind of the day where you're all going to die and I, and I saved you, right? So can you pretend that you remember it, right? Because they had a period where they didn't even keep the Passover, right? That would be the equivalent of us today forgetting that there's something called Eucharist and just it being gone, Right? They had reached those levels. Then after all the rejection, he sounds angry, right? like very emphatically angry, which everyone gets mad at him for. Like, I can't believe he's angry. Um, but even in the, in the rage, he says, okay, I'm saying I won't talk to you at all, right? and, he'll, and he'll say that. And yet I know that when you come back and you say sorry, I'm going to retract all of this, and I'm going to talk to you again, and I'm going to do all of these things, and I'm going to forgive you. And only after literally like centuries upon centuries of fighting back and forth with them that he says, fine, I won't fight your war for you, right? It's not even saying like, I abandon you. He's saying, I'm not going to actively fight this war for you. All these other wars, I've been fighting for you. It wasn't you. Um, and yet you think it's you. Okay, I won't fight, right? And so then finally, the Babylonians, he surrenders them to Satan, right? So the Babylonians... Um, take them, and he's like, all these gods and these other things that you are now worshipping, let them take care of you, right? Let, let's see if they will do for you what it is um, that you want. Let your wealth and all of you be damned to your own devices. I won't do this. That's the sending them to Satan. Satan. Yet, he still does work, right? Like, even after this, right, he does rescue them from Babylon, and he does visit them in their isolation. He does rebuild the temple with them. He also says, like, let's get a better solution for all of this, which was the new covenant, right? All of this, in context of this, this lecture, what we're talking about is God's work, right? This was God who did all of this fixing, right? This was God who did all of the active work. Unfortunately, however, not everybody sees or understands this because they are blinded by their own lusts. God is doing a work, but man doesn't really get it, and it can get really ugly. 
What Abuna says next um, is something I've both experienced and seen in others a lot, and it's um, very, very scary um, when God works in this way with man. Um, I think this is on page 9. At first, man becomes confused and troubled due to his own ignorance, as well as the lack of people in his life who are guides, trained, and leading souls. Man thinks that God has forgotten or neglected him, and that because he is sinful, grace has departed from him. This disciplinary period is so prolonged that he feels himself unworthy of the spiritual life. He begins to curse others and his circumstances, his family, friends, and superiors, blaming his bad luck or thinking he has been wronged, or maybe even the victim of persecution or cruelty. He may confront God with accusations and become further alienated from him. At times he laments and complains, at other times he petitions God, prays and fasts in the hope that things will improve and that God will no longer treat him so unjustly. The situation worsens because man is ignorant of God's wise plan, full of such loving tenderness. God desires the destruction of the old flesh and the stubborn, proud ego of man because it is plotted with the flesh to bring man to utter um, damnation. I'm sure many of you either have done this yourself or know people in that, in that place, right? Where things just start to go wrong, and then they first start off with, I'm not worthy because I'm bad, right? And so um, I, I deserve this. This starts off with this look of humility, right? Then as things progress, and it's like, no, 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 this can't be. I'm just unlucky. Right or I'm a victim. I can't believe that all of this is happening. How is it that all the cards are stacked against me? Right, every single thing that I do is being blocked. Right, then I'm a victim. So if there's a God, He's a jerk. Right, like it turns starts to turn a little bit. Um, then He might lament, as it says, and have this sudden I'm coming back and goes ultra religious. Right, and so it's like, give me matanyas, give me prayers, give me blah blah blah, blah. and they're not working. Right, He's doing all of this religious stuff. Right? And he's not getting these, these outcomes that he thought he was going to get. Um, and keep in mind that the main starting point of Bunamat is he has no guide. Right, Nobody is guiding him. This is a self-driven process. Um, and then he finds that things get worse. So what does he do? Completely renounces faith altogether. Right? And he's like, this is absolutely ludicrous. Right? And you'll hear them. Right? I did all of your religious stuff. Right? I did tazbahas, I did matanyas, I fasted Wednesday and Friday, and I didn't even cheat like you guys. I, did, like, I was by the book, I was clean, I didn't even have the fake stuff. Right? Like, I was at every single liturgy, I went to weekday liturgies, I fasted extra, I did St. Mary's fast with no oil. Right? I did all of these devout practices, um, and in the end, I got zero. Right? So, tell me who your loving God is. And most Christians will like just go really, really quiet, right? And be like, you know, what you need you need a hug, right? And then like just give a tough tub, and it's like, I don't want your hug, I don't want your God. Thank you very much. You're brainwashed. Peace out. And he will feel justified. What he doesn't know is his self was being attacked because he has a completely wrong concept, right? His self didn't take the blows of God very well that were trying to correct him to be aligned with the Spirit. All that his thinking was was egocentric in some way or somacentric, body-centric in some way. And there was no guide explaining it to him, either not qualified to train, right, which is as big of a problem as not having one sometimes, actually always, um, because 
this person didn't get what they needed. And so the person experiencing all this starts to think that the issue is everyone else. He's so blinded, he doesn't see the bigger picture. Part of it, as I said, is because there's no guidance, right? Sometimes because there are not enough guides around, and sometimes because the person actually has rejected guidance, which is an, an equally common um, thing. Um, because they think it's just someone trying to control uh, him or her. So it's like somebody who has addiction problems, and either there are no addiction counselors available, or the person has rejected the ones that exist, for whatever reason. Then someone is physically fighting and wrestling with him to give up the addiction, but the person perceives the, the work of the friend trying to help as meddling interference and rudeness. Right? So he has a completely different interpretation, right? This addict, because whoever this is, is a person who's addicted to himself or sin or something, right? So think of an, any addict with anything in a way that you can imagine, right? Is that if they're not ready, if they don't get it, if they don't know what's going on, then all these people are trying to help them, right? Are perceived as enemies, right? If they go to like the, the rehab center and like, give me your cell phone, it's like, What's wrong with you? And I've, I've seen somebody recently in rehab go through this. So it's like, I can't believe that they want my cell phone. I can't believe they want to control my funds. This is a joke. This is ridiculous. This is stupid, right? Someone who's got a little bit of medical background, and then it's just like, they don't even know what they're doing. They're the worst therapist in the world, right? They're, they're actively fighting against everything. Why? Because the self still wants this other thing, and they don't want to be corrected. They'll take the motions of doing it to say, hey, you wanted me to recover? I'm here for recovery. It didn't work, so obviously your recovery system doesn't work, right? Versus another person who went through the exact same thing and was successful, right? Obviously, there's multiple factors to this, but I'm zooming in on the egocentric personality, not on, on every other person. And I really want to point out how different this image is than the lovey-dovey portrayal of God that is popular these days. This is in stark contrast to what most people um, want out of Christianity, right? We want, like, the hugs and, and kisses, right? And, like, no, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you for you, right? Like, yeah, he does. Like, that's true, okay? But this is all that we want to say. And you know what? He loves you unconditionally, right? You can come to him, and you can blah, 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 praise Jesus, and God, I'm saved, right? And then, like, oh, Jesus, my lover, my friend. That's nice, okay? But... It's a very stark contrast to, I'm going to save you, okay? I'm going to save you in spite of you, right? Is that I'm going to wrestle with you. And I'm not going to give you a hug right now. I'm going to punch you in the face, okay, if that's what's necessary. So no, Jesus doesn't punch us in the face. But what I mean is, he's violently trying to take you back to his possession because he loves you, right? And yes, he loves you in spite of the ugliness that is your sin, Right? And that's why even though you're in the state of sin, he's still fighting with and for you. Because he doesn't want you to be in sin. Not because he likes your sin. Right? He hates your sin. He thinks it's disgusting and filthy and killing you. Right? But he loves you. And that's why in spite of what the sin is doing to you, that he wants you and still sees you as beautiful. Like the Song of Songs, right? one of my favorite verses is, I am black but comely right, is that there's nothing beautiful about me. He's using blackness as an image of, of, of being not nice, and yet I'm beautiful, right? And the beauty is not in my eyes, the beauty is in the eyes of my lover, right? Is that in spite of this blackness, he loves me, right? And that he brings me um, toward him. So instead of looking at the lover scenario, do you know any lover that is cool with you committing adultery? 
right? Like if you're in a, in a, in a marriage or you're dating or you're in whatever, that's like, yeah, like that's great, go for it, right? Like I'm, I'm glad that you found refuge with other women or men, right? They're not going to say that. Do you know a friend that says, you know what, I'm so happy for you that you've decided that you want to be a drug addict, right? You be you, right? That's so cool, right? I'm really happy and that's amazing and you know what, you should do it if that's what brings you joy, for sure, man, right? That's so good. <laughs> Right? So there's a difference between falling short okay, um, and portraying right as wrong. Okay? I might fall short. Right? I might believe that it's wrong to commit adultery, but I fell and I committed adultery. Right? I might believe that it is wrong to abuse my body, but I abuse my body. That's falling short. Yes, God accepts this and works with it, but He will not accept saying drugs are good, adultery is good. Never. Right? And this is something that our society is, is playing off of in a, in a dangerous way that has entered into religious life, right? This relativistic thing. If something is wrong, then it is wrong, period. And if I do something wrong, there's going to be wrong consequences, period, full stop, right? So when we try and excuse a wrong and say, oh, but it's okay. No, it's not okay. It's wrong, right? And because it's wrong, there's going to be a consequence to it. Not a punishment, a consequence, if I take a pen and I shove it in my vein, I have done something wrong. <laughs> and something wrong is going to come out. Blood isn't supposed to be traveling through the air like that. It's supposed to go through my vasculature, right? Through my circulatory system. And so it needs to be fixed, right? So I can't say, since I can plug it up, it's okay. No, it isn't okay. It's wrong. Right? And because I did something wrong, I might end up with a scar. I might end up with weakness. I might end up with something. And that is something that is as real as God's love. So let's not abuse right, God's love and mercy um, or be angry when He's fighting for us to do what is right. Um, Jesus, the love of your soul, is not going to smile at you and keep hugging you while you actively do crimes. Right? This isn't full house. Um, he's going to fight with you because he loves you. Unfortunately, though, it's the last part, don't worry. Um, is part B. There's a great gulf between God's wise and godly plan to save man's soul by destroying his false glittering self and man's ability to accept his means of so doing. Indeed, the means God uses seems quite unacceptable to man's self, since the experience of them is so bitter to man. However, his refusal does not hinder God's works. The unfortunately, part is the bomb hurts, right? Like, it's, it's, not, it's not easy. A good doctor isn't going to stop giving you a bomb just because you don't like it, right? He's not going to be like, oh, you don't like this remedy. All right, right? Like, he's, he's not going to do that. Chemo isn't fun. Right? Radiation isn't fun. Those aren't good experiences. They're not pe things people want. Antibiotics even aren't fun. Right? We don't, but we don't not use them because of their lack of fun. Right? We're using them because they are um, a remedy. So a good practitioner is going to apply the remedy if the person values health. Right? It's because there's something higher right, that we're, we're striving toward. So what happens if the person fights against the remedy? The doctor is going to use more extreme measures. That summarizes that whole section right, that he talked about. Is that, imagine if you're trying to give someone a needle and they're resisting. 
and the patient keeps on resisting more violently. The doctor is not going to say, I guess I won't give you the needle, right? Even though this is the thing that's going to save you, right? He's going to order restraints, right? And it's like, I wanted to just give you the needle, but you, you won't. All right, so now I'm going to tie up your arms, right? You think I'm the biggest jerk in the world. You won't when this remedy begins to work, right? And suddenly you have health again. So the renewed severity and hardness employed by God against human stubbornness flows from God's great longing for man's salvation. It's a love that hurts. It's the Old Testament God who still works the same way in the New Testament. If one accepts the means of salvation, realizing that God is working in us, then the person begins to be more mature and more aware and may even become eager to free himself of the dominating self which is ruining his life, right? This is like the dude who, like, after, like, years of inactivity is getting gains, okay, at the gym, and suddenly, like, this is pretty cool, right? And so suddenly, after dreading the gym, is now even eager to go to the gym in spite of the pain that it might bring him because he's suddenly seeing the benefits that he didn't see before. So the person, in other words, has started to resensitize himself to disease. This is good, right? This means that the person is now, stuff that he was completely, like, numb to, is not numb anymore. God is awakening him, right? And so now the person is starting to be aligned with the Spirit and realizing, oh, this wasn't good for me, right? This was causing lethargy, this was causing fatigue, this was causing pain, and I didn't know because I was um, numb. We must also accept, I'll end with this quote, we must also accept the misfortunes, ordeals, and pressures which come upon us, together with any diseases sent by God. In this way, the soul becomes more submissive and able to find release in the new man with the help of the Holy Spirit. The soul begins to prevail over the self and to beat it down to the ground. So some questions for you guys to think about during your, either your discussions or meditation, right, is what this whole chapter was about. Are you listening to others? Right? Are, are you aware of God speaking to you through others? Whether it's your, your family or your friends or your co-workers, your clients, your, your bosses, your friends, your spouses, um, your diseases, your, your environment. When accused of something, do you accept it? Or are you immediately on the defensive? Or are you immediately justifying why your behavior was the right behavior, right? Is that your gut impulse to say, oh, I did this because X, Y, and Z? Or like, if this other person hadn't done this and this, then I wouldn't. Or I think you just need to know, right? All of these things that all of us do to justify ourselves. Do you ask yourself where you are guilty? Do you ask why someone felt how they developed how they felt? If someone tells you how they feel, about your behaviors, do you actually sit down with yourself and ask, why have they come to this conclusion about it? Um, do you dismiss criticisms of those closest to you because you think it's, it's just them, right? Like we have a tendency with our own family or the people that are closest to us to be very dismissive, right? I'll be like, oh, that's mom. Mom's always worked up about whatever, right? And it's like, no, but have you actually stopped and asked if mom's right? Or do you just always dismiss it because it's mom? Right? You need to ask yourself those questions. Um, because characteristics that you might have that show that you're in resistance to this, that the self is there, are defensiveness, anger, at rebuke, selfishness, sense of um, entitlement. And we'll talk about some of the remedies to that, I think, in the fifth one. 
on self-accusation. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. Any... Any questions or... Also, not chosen 
to actively cure me so that this is still for my salvation, right? So it's, it's whatever, whatever perspective you're looking at is to say, if my aim is unity with the Spirit, communion with God, then this is what I want, right? This is what I long for. This, if he's permitting it, right? Actively or passively permitting, somehow this is good for me and others in a way that I might really not be able to understand, right? Which is what we talked about, where like, outwardly it might look so violent, right? But I don't know what the, the end goal is. But I agree, like, that it has to be acknowledged that a lot of these things are passive, right? Like, that a lot of these things are in the state of humanity, and that God also even allows those wants to be manifest because he's not going to hyper-control us, right? And that we need to see that the result of sin is wrong, right? We need to see that wrong things cause wrong consequences. Good question. Go. Just one more thing. So, because it, it seems like if you take it from the chastisement perspective, it could lead you to be inactive in a way to help your circumstance. Do you know what I mean? So, um, if you think a cancer came because it's going to make you better and closer to God, maybe you'll think, I should have given chemo or radiation because this is from God. <laughs> so, I, I just feel like we also... It affects our response sometimes. Or if I'm in a difficult work situation, I just have to stick it through because this is from God. Or do I actively try to help myself? So you start off by self-accusing, right? Of what am, what am I doing wrong? And that's why you do need a good doctor, right? That was the caveat that you had. So you don't just make random decisions. Like, I'm not doing chemo. This is God's like salvation from Like, you shouldn't just say that, right? So I should be like, well, what am I doing wrong? If the situation at work is everyone's hostile towards me, then I need to sit down and self-reflect. Am I doing something that is making them hostile toward me, right? Is it that I'm impatient? Is it that I'm judgmental? Actually, right? Is it that I'm insert negative characteristic here? If so, I ought to work on it, right? I would then add, this would straight from the topic, then it would be a question of, what are you in love able to endure? Right? What level of self-denial are you able to take? Right? Because if you have a breaking point, which everyone does, then I might need to move on and say, maybe it wasn't perfection that I left, but I did need to leave. Right? Like this was I wasn't able to bear such and such. That's why there are I, I know a monk, for example, who passed away this year, who refused, you know, he was in his like late sixties, um, and said, No, I, I I my life is for God, my death is for God. Right? I'm not suicidal, I'm not depressed, and he really wasn't. Um, and he was like, I, I accept this. Yet there are, are way more monks in the same monastery who actively pursued treatment right, for the, the same thing. So everyone can be in a different place of what they can handle it there. I'm sorry, but you can also accept treatment and still you know, accept what you're going through is to achieve salvation, and at the same time still get you know, the treatment that you need. I sure, I'm not going to defend or validate anyone's reasoning because he has his own deep spiritual life with his guide. I'm just saying that a person can arrive at either conclusion, right? There are families, there are people who are saying, do not reject this as a and there are some who say yes. There's, there's a deep personal thing going on there, right? So I, all I'm saying is that it isn't wrong for a person to accept death, right? You can have a philosophical debate on when and why and how all these other things and a moral one as well, which I, I won't pursue here, right? But just that there can be two conclusions that are that are, are valid. And, and forgive me, I'm gonna have to 
to, to cut the time right now because we're a little behind schedule. But um, please, these are really good questions. So if you want, if you can, 